Well, um, I'm like the, uh, I'm like the, you know, when I used to work in restaurants, um, they said I, you know, I was much younger than I'm not like this really anymore, but they said I was the seagull. I would like clean up all the food at the place. This was like early twenties. Um, and so I'm, I'm helping clean up. We've had a couple of folks cancel or move and, um, I've been helping clean up some of these teaching times. I'm like really happy to do it. And I'll tell you why. Um, it's not cause I love hearing the sound of my own voice. Um, it's although I mean, fair enough. Like if you think that I, I, I would understand that too, but it's really because I am just like really excited about the vision of 10 days. It's something that's a little bit outside of our box. It's something that's outside of our experience. And there's something about adding understanding around something where we can really see the, the value of it. And, oh, this is going somewhere. Okay, that's why we would want to do that, especially because it's such a costly thing to do. Um, I've shared this a few times. I'm just going to repeat some ba very basics of a 10 days vision because I just want people to really get it. We are asked, we, we believe, um, and I, you know, I just believe God, uh, and I had this encounter in 2004 where God showed me entire cities that had stopped everything during the 10 days of awe from, from the day of trumpets to the day of atonement. They weren't, people weren't going to work. They weren't going to school. People had just totally given themselves over to prayer and worship and repentance and fasting, seeking God together. It's like a citywide worship meeting that had shut down the city for 10 days. And I knew this city would never be the same. Um, I knew it was going to have a transformational effect. And I asked God, how would you respond if a city sought you in this way? It was like the first question that came out of my, my spirit. And that's a very biblical way of thinking. Um, you know, um, it doesn't all depend on God, right? A lot of times God is actually waiting for us. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, right? Um, we know God is sovereign over everything, but it doesn't mean we're just like, you know, um, little, I don't know, electrons or something. We're, he is looking for a response from us. So if, if, if a city responded to God in this way, like, God, we are so sorry. We want to get right with you. We're going to take 10 days just to fast and pray and seek your face. How would God respond to that city? I, I want to know the answer to that question. And while you might not be able to do that with your city, I want to invite you to do that with yourself this September 25th to October 5th and to call others around you, whatever your sphere of influence is. If it's, if it's your family, um, if it's uh, a small group, if it's a church, if it's a citywide church, you know, pray about it. Seek God. God says there's different levels of faith and grace that we all walk in. I know people that it's not hard for them to get, um, you know, thousands of people to do the same thing. <laughs> They've got amazing grace to do that. I know other, you know, other you know, people like me, it's like, wow, getting that many people to do the same thing is pretty hard. I'm not really able to, but I can get us, you know, a different group of people to do something or do it in a different way. Um, we all have different grace, different, different levels of grace and faith. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just what it is. And let's determine, God, how are you gifting me to be able to call people into a season of prayer that's going to leave them transformed? And I think the beauty about doing this is it really points people to Jesus, right? Like 
while we've been doing this 10 days of prayer, where has the focus been the whole time? It's been on him. It's been on the presence of God. It's been on the Holy Spirit. It's been on communing with God, the Father. God, what's on your heart? Praying things that are close to his heart. And so we just want to see more and more people get caught up into this. Um, and uh, we want to invite you guys definitely to be a part of it this fall, this September 25th to October 5th. Very excited for that. And then every year uh, after that, we'll be doing this as well. Um, I'm going to just, I, I, I thought about doing several different teachings. Um, I have some that are more 10 days focused. And instead of doing one that's more about 10 days, I want to do one that's about answered prayer. Um, but I'm going to just present in this context. How can we become the kind of people whose prayers God always answers? Is that something that's even possible? Is that something God wants to do? And how can we become those people? I think 10 days could be part of the answer to that for us. These times of abiding in him, waiting on him, growing in faith. This could all be part of the answer. It's not the silver bullet, but I want to take a look uh, biblically at some of these amazing promises that God has given us in the word. So I'm just going to share my screen here. All right. I'm, we're just calling this teaching the mystery of always answered prayer. Um, so just, just, a a quick backstory for me. Uh, I was very attracted or I don't know, attracted and repelled, I think at the same time by some of the things I would read in the Bible. Um, Jesus would make these crazy statements and I was just trying to understand like, what is he saying? Like when he says, uh, if you remain in me and my word remains in you ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. I'm like, wow. You mean I can always have my prayer answered if I just do these things? And, uh, or, or Jesus saying like, uh, greater things than these you will do, talking about his miracles. And then I would go and like search this out and I would read in a lot of um, different uh, commentaries or theologians and they would always seem to like walk back what Jesus was saying. You know, it's almost like, um, you know, we see happen maybe in the political realm where a political leader will will say something like, yeah, we're 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 going to do this. We're going to do that. And then their their staff will kind of like walk it back. Uh, well, he didn't really mean it that way. And I felt like that's what people were doing for Jesus. And I was kind of um, I was just kind of upset about it, um, because if Jesus didn't want to say that, he wouldn't have said that. Um, and it just felt like we were missing something. So I want to look at some of these incredible promises of always answered prayer. I want to just address it honestly. And the reason, uh, so here we go to the next slide. The reason that people want to walk back what Jesus said, of course, is not because of the Bible. It's because of our experience, isn't it? So how many of our prayers are answered in our experience? I think we've all had unanswered prayer. But is that the promise of Jesus regarding prayer? Um, you know, another way to say that unanswered prayer is part of our ex experience. We've all experienced it, but what is the biblical standard for our prayers? I'm just going to phrase it another way. Does Jesus ever give us a blank check regarding answered prayer? Uh, Kirk, someone's uh, mic's on. Can you just nab that? 
So there's actually a number of places in the word where Jesus gives us a blank check for answered prayer. What do I mean by that? Um, what I mean by that is he, he, he just says like, Hey, ask in this, under these conditions, ask for anything and it will be done for you. Now, I don't want to be guilty of walking back that statement like, well, you know, Jesus didn't really mean that. I'm, I'm like, no, like, I just want to understand it, Lord. It is a mystery because we all know there's unanswered prayer. Um, but Lord, show us what this means. Show us what this really means and show us how we could walk into these promises. So Matthew 21, 21 to 22, Jesus answered and said to them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And everything you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. That's pretty cool. <laughs> everything you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. I just, I mean, that's what it says. I'm just reading it. It's in the Bible. Uh, I'm not saying I understand it. I'm just saying Jesus said it. And let's be honest that he said it. Here's another one from Mark. It's a similar passage, but it has some overlap, uh, has some different elements as well. So Jesus answered saying to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. So let's just make some observations on these two passages from Matthew and Mark. Let's just dive into these a little bit. So first First thing I want to draw attention to, the key condition, the main point, because there is a condition. It's not just ask for anything and you'll have it. It's ask in faith or believing or not doubting. These are all, this is all overlapping language. Um, and then, so that's one condition, right? Mark also adds another one that you need to forgive anyone um, of anything you have against anyone. So you need to forgive anyone that you're that has harmed has wronged you okay so um that's just an added thing in mark both of these promises are presented in the context of passion week all right so both of these promises are given during like the most important part of the new testament uh, of jesus's life it's passion week um leading up to his his uh, crucifixion and his resurrection um, and so both of them are in that context, both follow on the account of cursing the fig tree. So in both Matthew and Mark, the story is given as part of the same parable. And then mo both of them use this funny phrase of casting the mountain into the sea. Um, you know, just implicitly there, I think it's, we're going to get into the figurative elements of this, but I think it's obvious that um, making a fig tree die and casting a mountain into the sea the mountain is the bigger lift, right? So there's this 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 kind of idea of uh, something that's even bigger than the fig tree. Um, so I'm just going to draw some conclusions from this on how we could actually start to walk in what Jesus is talking about. Like, can we just agree Jesus is talking about something real? We may not be walking in it, 
maybe we're immature. Maybe we're like kids who haven't gotten the keys to the car yet. But how could we learn to walk in this? I'm just going to draw a few conclusions. If we could just figure out how to ask with faith to believe and not to doubt, we could receive whatever we ask in prayer. I think that's really true. <laughs> According to what Jesus says, I just I believe what he says is true. And, and what I'm understanding from this is maybe I don't know what it means to ask with faith, to believe, not to doubt. Um, hey, I've already said this a few times, but let's be careful not to dilute his promise um, based on our inferior experience. This is just a good principle, guys. When the Bible is talking about something that's better than our experience, the problem isn't the Bible. The problem is us. So we need to elevate to the Bible not lower the Bible to our experience. And it's funny because a lot of times people that really love the Bible end up bringing the Bible down instead of elevate saying, no, actually we should elevate our experience of God to the level of the Bible. Um, so I think we also, another, another conclusion here, and I think this is important too. This is kind of on the other side. I think a lot of us are missing on one side or the other. We need to be careful of misunderstanding this passage, this passage. Um, people have often drawn bad conclusions about what faith is from this passage, as in faith is like this thing we just have to gin up in ourselves without doubting. Um, I'm, you know, like I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, you know, you can't like consider, uh, you know, the, I don't know, like if somebody's sick, it's like, no, I'm, I'm believing for a healing. It's like, great, but you're still sick. No, I'm not sick. In Jesus name is like, no, you really are. Like I can see the snots coming down your nose and you look awful. Um, now you could be healed like, and I want you to be healed, but we, we also need to be honest about what situation is right now. Um, and so I think this passage has been used incorrectly to be like, if we could just gin up some idea of faith, but we don't, I think we're misunderstanding when we do that what faith really is. We're misunderstanding what it is, and we're going to need to get a better understanding of faith. Uh, let me just put it this way. Let me, let, me, let me put it this way. If you want to know what faith is, one, one idea is you could, you could backtrack from a point where you prayed a prayer that was impossible and God answered it. <laughs> you could be like, you could totally like reverse engineer. You're like, okay, whatever was happening in that moment, I was praying that was faith. I, I think that's like a good, maybe a better way to figure out what faith is. And then when you think back on things you've done and your prayers haven't been answered, you might want to reverse engineer and be like, well, that probably wasn't faith because the prayer didn't get answered. Uh, I think we could safely do that. Um, it's a funny thought. wasn't in the notes, but just kind of occurred to me as we were talking. Okay. This is going to get into a little bit of a, some deeper stuff here beyond just the, um, the, the blank check prayer. Um, but some interesting things I noticed studying this passage. So this is interesting. There's a symbolically cursed fig tree and this fig tree depicts Israel and Jerusalem. And it, it is prophesying. Jesus is prophesying through the fig tree, the coming destruction and judgment on Jerusalem for rejecting him. Um, so wow. Okay. That's interesting. So this isn't just like a fig tree. This is a symbolic fig tree. In other words, um, sometimes a fig tree isn't just a fig tree. I'm just saying the mountain cast into the sea, 
Now, this is interesting. I didn't realize this when I started studying this passage, but I think it clearly here represents the Gentile kingdoms of this age, especially in an end-time judgment context. So this is actually talking about Babylon and like the stuff in Revelation 17, 18, 19. You're like, why, John? That's like a bit of a stretch, Jonathan. Well, just bear with me. Um, and if you think it's a stretch, I'm still going to love you and hopefully you'll still love me too. But But when you look at this this sense first of all the fig tree already represents a kingdom so he's talking about a kingdom a political uh group i I think it's not a stretch to think the mountain might but mountain repeatedly represents kingdoms in the bible Uh, i've given you some references there i'm not going to read them all but you know psalm 46 is just one example i'm just going to read a little bit of psalm 46 um God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Okay, now what is what is this talking about? Um, it's talking about shaking in the nations. It's not talking about a literal mountain. Um, that becomes clear later. Uh, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. Uh, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And then um, later, verse 10, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, be still and know that I am God is actually what God is saying to raging uh, Gentile nations that are rebelling against him. Think about that. I mean, I think we can still utilize it in our quiet time, but that's just an interesting uh, little matter of perspective there. <laughs> Be still and know he's actually speaking to these Gentile nations. Just the psalm is is really kind of a, a an end of the age psalm, um, and you know, consequently, I think Jesus is drawing on that imagery of the mountain as a kingdom, and is is speaking about essentially like, hey, I am I am participating here prophetically in um, what's happening right now in Jerusalem, you, you, my followers are going to participate in even this mountain, these Gentile kingdoms being tossed into the sea when the, at the Lord's return. I don't know. That's my interpretation. Um, If you don't agree with that, we're still going to be friends, but I think it's kind of cool. And I, and you know, literally I'd never seen this before in this passage, just digging into it. I was like, whoa, I think this is pretty, pretty significant. So in other words, you could say, you could say this fig tree is first coming reality. Uh, mountain in the sea is, is second coming reality. Um, uh, that's not exactly relevant on always answered prayer. That's just like bonus material. Uh, it's not going to appear on a quiz, I promise. Um, <laughs> so the gospel of John also has these blank check promises and my my thought when I see the same thing happening in the Bible, because all these different authors like to give us different perspectives, I'm always like, man, I'm going to collect the same themes, people that are saying the same thing, but they're going to talk about it differently, um, and and maybe I can get better understanding about the reality behind it because I'm just like so ignorant, I need a lot of help, um, but maybe if I compared and contrasted some of these things. I could figure it out or, or God could give me a better understanding. So let's, let's compare the blank check promises for answer prayer in Matthew and Mark 
which are very similar to John. And they're a little bit different, but there's a lot of overlap here too. So truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He repeats himself. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is crazy stuff. See, this is like, we can't walk this stuff back. We need to really figure out what Jesus is saying. And then we need to obey it. We need to live it. We need to walk it out. Um, John 15, 7 to 12. This one is like my favorite of all of these. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I'm just going to read that again. If you abide, remain, live, dwell in me and my words abide, live, dwell in you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So there's conditions here. I'm I'm not supposed to get into interpreting it. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just going to focus on that part. I'm not going to read the rest of the passage. You can read the rest of it, but it's a blank check promise. It's like, do these things and then just ask whatever you want. And I'm going to do it for you. That's, that's an amazing promise. Like I'm telling you guys, if we could unlock this stuff, it would be like, um, like fusion power getting unlocked on the earth. Like we'd have no, we'd have no problems. We'd, we'd be able to ask for whatever we want and it would be done for us by our father. It would, I mean, it's like literally a description of living in the kingdom, right? Where, where the father is granting, ah, so I'm getting excited. Sorry. I got to stay on track. I got to stay on track. All right. John 16, 23 to 27. He says in that day, you will not question me about anything. Speaking of after his ascension, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the father for anything in my name, he will give it to you until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. I'm not going to read the rest just because of time. So let's see if we can unpack a little bit of what's in John's promises. I'm going to just say one thing I didn't put in these notes is how this promise of always answered prayer is tied into his ascension and the giving of the Holy spirit. Like, I just think that's cool because he's going to the father. Um, he's saying, you can ask, you can ask for whatever you want now, you know, <laughs> it's almost like, um, I'm just going to think of an analogy, you know, like if your best friend, uh, went to work, for um tesla car company and he was like man like if you ever need a new car like just ask me i will get it for you right away like we have these perks we can do this um or or someone who owns a vacation home you know and and they say to you look i own this vacation home ask whenever you'd like and i will let you come and stay in it it's it's that kind of a thing um because of this this position Next to the father, there's this grace release to receive, to ask for whatever, and he's going to do it. Um, so here's some other observations. Uh, I, I just drew that out connected to the ascension. I think that's true. But like Matthew and Mark, John 14, 12 to 15 conditions, answer prayer and greater works on believing. 
So that's interesting. The faith element. So faith, belief, trust. In Greek, that's all the same word. So when we say faith, belief, trust, we're all talking about the same thing. So faith, belief, or trust in Jesus is the key. So in Matthew and Mark, it was like, believe the thing is going to be like, it's like believing in the thing. But here it's like believing in Jesus. It's a little bit different. Um, John 14, 15 has an implicit condition uh, about obeying Jesus' commandments. So that's sort of like, but it's especially this new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. Um, so that's another condition that's a part of it. Um, he asked that he, he, part of the condition is that requests be made in my name, whatever you ask in my name. We say that all the time. We pray in Jesus name. I'm not sure that's what Jesus is talking about. I'm not saying we should stop doing that, but, um, so these are kind of the questions I have in wanting to walk in this. What does it mean to ask in my name? And what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Like what, what are those, what do those terms mean? I know we think a lot of times we understand, but, but once again, I think our, <laughs> our lack of manifesting these promises shows we're falling short. That's not a criticism. That's just a, a reality check. How could we, how could we grow in understanding this more? Um, so I'm going to check out the promises in this next passage. This is interesting. Different conditions here. Different conditions. Conditions here are to abide or remain or live in Jesus and have his words abide, remain, or live in us. So that's kind of different than believing. It seems different. Um, And then a second condition is to ask what we desire, what we wish, or what we want. So this language about abiding and desire is only found here uh, from the passages we're looking at. It's actually found in other places too, like Psalm 37. Um, but, um, of these passages, it's, it's really here. Um, these promises are linked to, to fullness of joy and experiencing delight. I just think that's cool. That's an interesting part. There's not a lot about joy in the Matthew and Mark passages, is there? It's just like, this is how you do it. Um, and then I think in John 14, another, another time implicitly, we see the condition of keeping the commandments, especially this love one another as I have loved you commandment. So that's interesting. That's like coming up again and again. Um, John 16, 23 to 27. Um, so it repeats the theme of acting, asking in Jesus name. So that's another condition. And when I say condition, I want to just make that clear. These are conditional promises. So, um, you know, Jesus, it's like, if I tell my kids, you can watch a movie tonight if you do all your chores first, right? So there's a promise there. I'll let you watch a movie, but the condition is you have to do your chores first. And all of these promises that we're reading are conditional. Um, they're all conditional promises from Jesus. So, and we're just trying to understand what are the conditions? What are the conditions of these uh, blank check um where we can just ask whatever we want. We can uh, have every prayer answered. What are the conditions for that? So John 16 to 23, 23 to 27, it repeats this theme of fullness of joy. Um, It clarifies that we can ask the father directly. So we don't have to even ask Jesus to ask the father. It's like, we can go right to dad. It's pretty cool. Um, 
predicts that we're going to have greater understanding once we have the Holy Spirit and once Jesus ascends, but then it adds no new conditions. So it's just sort of like more of a repackaging of some of the other themes that have come before. Um, so anyway, is this helping? Just I just want to, we're just at this point, we're just kind of investigating it. We're not really saying what it means yet, but we're going to, now we're going to just compare and contrast Matthew, Mark, and John. I want to just compare these guys. Once again, my thought is if these are the same promise talked about in different ways by different authors, can it shed more light on it if we compare them, if we try and understand them next to each other? So here are some similar elements. One is the obvious. They're both blank check promises. You can have anything you ask in prayer if you do these things. Um, both have conditions, right? <laughs> so it's a blank check, but it's a conditional blank check. Um, you can have a car when you're 16 if uh, you get straight A's in school, you know, something like that. Um, so faith and believing is the key condition to answer prayer in Matthew, Mark, and also in John 14. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we can, I think we can really conclude faith or believing or trust is really important to answer prayer. And as, as Gaylord shared with us at the beginning uh, of our time, faith is actually one of the core elements of just what it means to be a new covenant believer. So it's not a surprise that this is so important to answer prayer um, and accessing some of the promises of the new covenant, right? So I thought this was interesting. All three of these, um, you know, uh, passages are during Passion Week. So it's all right before Jesus goes to the cross. Um, they both predict Jesus, Jesus' followers will do greater things than Jesus did through prayer. That's pretty cool. Um, I hadn't noticed that in Matthew, Mark, because it's implicit there. It, it explicitly says in John 14, you will do greater things than these. It's like, wow. Okay, if you say so, Jesus. But in Matthew, Mark, it's the, it's the contrast between the fig tree and the mountain, right? It's easier to curse a fig tree and have it die than to tell a mountain to go and be cast into the sea, right? Um, and both link the behavior to how we treat other people, especially other believers. So big key to answer prayer. I think we can conclude, like, that's a, that's a really important element. Faith is a really important element. Um, and, and how we treat other believers has got to be really important to cashing this check, to meeting the conditions for always answered prayer. Here are some differences. Um, you know, um, Matthew and Mark is presenting this promise in a, in a context of declaring judgment. Um, it's juxtaposed to the triumphal entry, the cleansing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. So this, I, I just think it's more of a world historical context, internal perspective, like more like the book of Revelation is giving us like, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Um, but it's definitely in a judgment context. You know, I, I would say it's a more external perspective. Um, that's not to say it's wrong at all. It's right. It's just a different perspective. It's a different way of looking at it. Um, you know, I, I'm a baseball fan and I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan and I like to go to the game 
And I like to, you know, kind of like walk up there and find some guy on the street that's selling tickets and buy them and then go sit wherever those tickets are. The reason I like that, I do have some favorite spots to watch the game, but I like to be able to watch it from different perspectives because it really changes how you see the game. Um, and then watching it on TV is a totally different perspective. Um, and so these are just, hey, it's like it's not right if you're sitting in the left field bleachers and, and you see something happen and it looks a certain way, like versus it's going to look different than the person sitting behind home plate. And yet it's the same thing happening. It's just a different perspective. So I would say Matthew Mark is looking from a more external world historical perspective. John is presenting the promise in the midst of this intimate supper, giving the new covenant, giving the new commandment. He's announcing his departure. It's like this high emotional moment for the disciples. He's promising the Holy Spirit. I'd say like this is more of a personal, intimate, internal perspective. I mean, John 13 kicks off this passage. And it's where Jesus, you know, it says like Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. It's like this very intimate moment. Um, so the language, John uses the words and concepts that Matthew uses, faith and believing. And then also this, this idea of it, our, our relationship with our brothers being important. Uh, but then he uses a lot of new words and contexts. I'm, I'm sorry, concepts, abiding, obedience, love, joy desire the language of john is more intimate um you know like in matthew and mark it's not like and you'll have joy when you cast the mountain into the sea it doesn't say that at all not that that wouldn't be wrong it's just it's just totally different um repetition okay matthew and mark give the blank check promise in just one passage john repeats it three times and as we saw within those three times he actually repeats it more <laughs> so there's more repetition in John than in Matthew and Mark. All right, we're gonna we're gonna land this plane, people. I'm I'm grateful for you sticking with me through this whole thing, and hopefully we can draw some conclusions as we've been uh, just diving deep into these these promises around answered prayer. So, conclusion one: like these passages are linked because it's the same promise. I've already kind of assumed that, but I I just think that's I think that's true. Now, here's a question. Could it be that we have different perspectives on the same phenomena and promise? Could, could it be that they're actually talking about the same reality? They're just sitting in different parts of the baseball park. Um, you know, I would contend Matthew and Mark are taking this more external perspective. Um, and they're giving it in, in kind of a world historical perspective of judgment, shifting kingdoms. Um, you know, God's end time judgments and how he's going to ultimately come and rule and reign and how prayer is tied into that. Believing prayer um, is part of how uh, is core to God's strategy for the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ. We know that not just from Matthew, Mark. We also know it from the book of Revelation, which talks about how the prayers are mixed up and thrown down. Oh, it's exciting. Uh, it's just amazing. We have a role to play in this, right? We have a role to play in this drama. Okay. So John, I feel like is more of an, of an intimate look at how we can pray prayers that are always answered. Uh, I'd say it's like looking under the hood, um, of what someone who prays in faith, believing and not doubting 
looks like. So maybe maybe Matthew Mark is more like we're looking at the outside, the race car, we're seeing what it looks like. And and John is like getting us under the hood to see, well, how does that actually work? Like it's cool, this car goes so fast, but but what does it look like inside? What's the internal reality that can create so much speed and power, et cetera? Okay, so how should we pray based on these passages? To ask another question, how can we walk in this promise of always answered prayer? My answer is we should prioritize the presence of God. So if we focus on the internal reality, we're going to get to the external reality. That would be my contention. So I think John 15 gives us an interview of what the prayer of faith looks like. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? That's pretty cool. What if John 15, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you, is giving us an inside view of what the prayer of faith in Matthew and Mark, what it looks like to ask in faith, believing and not doubting. What if that's what what John is explaining to us in other language? I'd say also like there's a process to answer prayer, much as there's a process to growing fruit on the vine. So don't try to like directly approach faith. Like, I'm just going to believe. It's like, no, abide in the vine. Let his words abide in you. And then faith is like, you know, this fruit that is coming off of you. um, That's going to be a byproduct of, of abiding in Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So how we can grow answered prayers in our soul. Um, I'd say first step to always answer prayer, abiding in Jesus. Um, I think practically this means we should prioritize experiencing and cultivating and welcoming the presence of God in our prayer times above everything else. Um, Not asking, (laughs) not asking for things. We're going to ask, we're going to ask, but let's just not prioritize it. This is very similar to what uh, Arnie was saying yesterday. Like just make room for him, get him in the room, abide in him. If we can do that, like everything else is really going to be okay. Um, it has an inward expression, experiencing our union with him, but also an outward expression, um, both in terms of the manifest presence of God in our space that's corporately experienced. And then also there's an in-between the believer expression. Um, so we experience it inwardly outwardly and then among each other in corporate prayer that explains why it's so important that we're right relationally uh for our prayers to be answered because that's a key element of it hopefully that hopefully that makes sense um so abiding in jesus let's prioritize his presence let me just ask this in our prayer times why not experience more of god's presence in prayer and ask for less things what if we ask for less and had more of his presence, would we actually see less answered prayer? I don't think so, because the Bible says your father knows what you need before you ask him. Doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. I'm, I'm not against asking. I want to just make that clear. The whole thing is about how do we ask and be heard? <laughs> so we're going to ask. But what if we prioritized his presence? And then because God already knows what we need. Like, it's not like we're giving him new information. Um. This is a great passage from Ecclesiastes. Um, Let your words be few. Do not be hasty or impulsive. 
consider it in the natural, just a natural scenario. Um, God's a great king. He's much greater than us. Um, should we enter the presence of a great king with a list of requests or demands? Or would it make more sense if we're approaching a great king to just come listening, praising, humbling ourselves, honoring him? I mean, I think it just make more sense to listen first, right? Um, I'm going to put in another analogy. What would you rather have, you know, uh, a friendship with Bill Gates, you know, one of the world's wealthiest men, where you spend time together, you have a relationship, you, you enjoy each other's company, or would you rather have an opportunity to present a request for money? Uh, what would Mr. Gates value more, do you think? Someone asking him for money or a close friendship? I think clearly it'd be the, the close friendship. So, but, but, but here's the thing. When you have a close friendship with one of the world's wealthiest person, people, they care about you. <laughs> they want to do what you want to do. Like, it's, it's amazing. It's just such a greater privilege to be a friend than to present a request um, because friends can present requests in an ongoing way um, because there's that relationship there, right? I think if we abide in Jesus, if we make his presence our priority, we're going to see more answered prayer. Um, and we're going to be asking out of friendship and knowing one another, like us knowing him, him knowing us. Okay. Um, if we remain in him, so we've talked about abiding in him, his presence. The next step is his word living in us. This is what creates faith in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing and his word hearing by the word of God. So if, if we remain in him and his words remain in us. So in prayer, we need to be saturated in the presence of God and filled with the word of God. If we're going to have faith to pray prayers that God is going to hear. So this atmosphere in the human heart where the presence of God is working with the word of God. I'm just going to say this. This is how God does creative things, acts of power, since the beginning, this is exactly what happened in Genesis one. It's a forever pattern. It's a forever pattern. And it's how we get answered prayer. You get the presence of God. You get the word of God coming together. You cultivate that. Boom. Something creative, powerful, dynamic happens. The, the earth is created. The world is formed or a miracle happens or a prayer is answered or God moves in someone's life, whatever it is. Or something really simple happens that we, uh, that we wanted or asked for. Um, so when we abide in him and his words abide in us, it changes us at the heart level. The heart is the place where desire comes from. Okay. And then it says we can ask whatever we desire. So I think this is really important. Your heart's desire is key to answered prayer. Your heart's desire is key to answer prayer. Have you ever had somebody uh, ask you to pray for something and you really just didn't want it? <laughs> like your heart wasn't in it. You're just like, okay, I'll pray for you. Bless you. But you're just like, I don't really want that. And it's, it might be a perfectly good thing. It's just, it didn't connect to your heart. It didn't connect to your desire. Um, those prayers are prayers God isn't going to answer. Like it has to connect to our heart's desire to be able to be answered. That's one of the conditions. Um, 
Psalm 37 is a great example of this. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him, and he will give you his heart's, your heart's desire. Um, so wanting it, desiring it is key to answered prayer. This is important. Um, God isn't going to give us things that we don't really want, not things we think we want with our mind, like, I think I want a Cadillac, or I think I want this, but things we really, truly want, where that desire is coming from deep within us, those are the kinds of prayers God's going to answer. Um, anyway, so there's just this overflow of abiding in him, his words abiding in us. Our heart is getting changed. It's producing these holy desires or even just desires, even just any desires. Um, I'm not saying they're not holy, but maybe they're not like spiritual. Maybe it's just like, oh, I'd really like this right now. And then you turn around and there it is. I've had that happen so many times. But it's just this thing that God does uh, when we abide in him and his word abides in us. So anyway, how to cash that blank check. Um, this John 15 process is a good look on the inside of how to get faith, how to get what Matthew and Mark are talking about. And it produces requests that come out of our heart that God cannot resist. He cannot resist. He can't help answering these things. Um, it's no wonder that Jesus calls these prayers fruit because they flow out of this organic process of abiding in Jesus, his word living in us, pruning keeping his commandments, and then time. It's just like gardening. It's like gardening, but we are the product that's being gardened, and God is the gardener. I think that's what John 15 basically says. Um, so if you want fruit, don't focus on fruit, but the conditions that lead to fruitfulness. I'm going to say it another way. If you want to have faith that can move mountains, don't make your focus on faith. Focus on the conditions that can produce faith in your heart. Um, So anyway, that was just a way that made sense to connect it to me. I'm just going to wrap it up here. God knows what we want and what we need before we ask. Um, so us saying the prayers is not what's most important. Us being transformed is more important. And then we can ask and, and it'll be done like that. Not with labor, just a quick answered prayer. If we prioritize abiding in Jesus and the presence of God above making requests, um, you know, we're just going to see greater fruitfulness in prayer. We need to just really love the Bible. <laughs> we need to allow Jesus' words to live and dwell in us. And that is a key condition to seeing always answered prayer. And then pay attention to your desires. We think our desires are bad. They're not bad. Um, some of them are bad, obviously. But just because you want it doesn't make it bad. But God actually wants to work through your desires. So pay attention to desires that come out of your heart. Don't just ask for things because you're supposed to or because you should. Ask for what you really want. Make sense? Don't just do it because you're like, oh, I'm supposed to want this. No. And, and if you're looking at the word and you're like, God, I don't want what you want. The, the key to that is abide in Jesus and, and abide in his word until your heart's changed. And then you'll want it, you know? <laughs> anyway, uh, forgiveness of offenses is key. Don't bring the gift to the altar without it. Loving one another as Jesus loved us is a major key for answered prayer. And then this always answered prayer is the fruit of an ongoing organic process. So let's focus on the earlier steps in the process. And then the fruit is going to come automatically. Father, 
We want to see always answered prayer, Lord. We want our prayers to be answered. We do not want to be like boxers that are beating the air, but we want to be people whose voices you respond to. We want to be those who can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And so, Lord, we just pray, would you allow us to abide in you? Would you allow your words to abide in us? And would you transform our hearts, give us holy desires, desires that you respond to, desires that when we share them with you, you can't help but answer our prayers. For Jesus' sake, because of who he is, because of who he is at your right hand, we honor him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.